Praise God. We've been in a little series prior to the run-up of our few days, which were, man, August is right here, right? And uh, we've got this uh, evangelistic campaign, and it's been full steam ahead, and we know a ton of you are going to get out there and pound the pavement. Some will, many of you hopefully will be uh, packing bags and so forth to get out there. And I've been doing a series on the power tools of the gospel. And I'm still doing that series on the run-up to that and sharing the gospel. And I shared it with my home group, a bunch of messages on evangelism. Uh, I've tried to make every message a little bit different uh, for the Sunday service so you guys don't get the same exact thing. Uh, and it, it's actually been a real blessing. Uh, but before I kick this one off, I want you to... I really want to kick it off with 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. If you could go there, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses, we'll, just, we'll, we'll hit 9 and 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. I mean, we've been, as you turn there, we've been commanded to preach the gospel as a church, amen? Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all the nations, amen? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, Right? He says, Lo, I'm with you always, unto the, even to the end of the age. We're supposed to do this until Christ comes back at the second coming, at the end of the tribulation period. And in chapter 7, he says something that's very, very important here to us. He says in verse 9, I now rejoice, not that uh, you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God. That indicates that there's a sorrow that's not according to the will of God. And there's a sorrow that is according to the will of God. So you might not suffer loss in, of, uh, in anything through us. And I don't have time because I want to cover so many scriptures to get totally in the context here. But there was a man who had repented. Uh, and there were many people in this church who were cheering on his rebellion because they thought a grace was a license. And this man came to repentance. And Paul was rejoicing that this man came to repentance and, uh, through the beginning chapters here. And there's other issues he deals with as well. But he says in verse 10, For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces what? Repentance without regret leading to what? Salvation. So there's a godly repentance that leads to salvation. Amen? And it says, but the sorrow of the world produces what? It produces death. The sorrow of the world produces death. And there's a difference. The, a godly sorrow, a worldly sorrow is like, you know, you're a little kid, you know. Your mom says, you've had too many cookies, and we're going to have dinner soon. No more cookies. And he just snuck a cookie, and she caught you. And then she comes in there a little bit later, and she sees you sneaking a cookie right before dinner. And then you start crying and everything because you get sent to your room, you know, and grounded or something like that. And you're all bent out of shape, and you're crying and everything. I'm sorry, Mom, but you're all sorry because you're just angry that you got caught, right? But another kid is like, sorry because he can't believe he did that. And his mom loves him, he knows it, and he just blew it, and he can't believe he just did that. And he's sorry because he broke his mom's heart. And he feels bad because of how he made, what he did with her, his relationship with her. And, 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 and then he therefore has a change. The next time he has an opportunity and she's not looking, he doesn't want to break her heart again. That's a godly type of sorrow, where you're sorrowful over the real issue at hand, not just because of the ramifications of the issue. And there's a lot of people who say, well, I'm sorry, you know, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sorry that I'm a sinner, you know, but they don't repent. They're sorry because there's consequences. There's other people who are sorry because they've broken the heart of God. Oh, yeah, they don't like the consequences either, but they know they need to get right with God and have a right relationship with God. So it's a godly sorrow that leads to repentance, and repentance is uh, metamor uh, 
Metanoia has to do with uh, having a change of heart, a change of mind. And it's a change of heart, a change of mind that turns from darkness to light. Amen? And turns from, from the broad road of destruction to Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And that godly sorrow involves a turning in the heart. Amen? And the evidence of that is that your lifestyle changes because people can see you following Jesus. The repentance isn't the whole lifestyle change. That comes after you have a change of heart, which is repentance. But godly sorrow leads to repentance, which leads to what? Life. Amen? And we want to make sure when we're sharing the gospel that we're seeking by the power of the Holy Spirit to bring true repentance. Amen? And to be effective in ministry. I saw a little clip this clip's been out for some time, and most people haven't seen it because I only had a few hundred views, but I thought it's kind of funny because maybe it's not interesting to people, but for me it's really interesting because I'm like, wow, that that's, uh, illustrates you know, how sin gets you in trouble. You'll see a little kid, and he threw his toys in back of the, he wasn't supposed to. He already told, he was, that's, you know, not threw the toys in back of the couch. And they got in trouble for it. And I'm not sure what kind of repentance is at work here. Maybe what you guys can guess. It's only a couple minutes long. Let's go to play that, Jonathan, and, if, and uh, watch that. It's just a couple minutes long. I thought it was interesting. got my attention. Tell me, Cal, did you get back there? What happened that you got behind the couch? I don't want to tell you. I don't want to. You have to tell me if you want to get out. What happened? Behind the couch. I want to get out of the couch. Well, how'd you get back there? I, I, I went up the seat. I went up here, and I was gonna go 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 get the other other toys. Well, I was I was trying to get go back here. I turned around, go get all the other toys. Well. I just had to go on this side, and I went, jump. Then I jumped back here. Right? And now I need some help getting out. <laughs> I need a police car out of here and an ambulance out of here. Well, how did the police car and the ambulance get back there? I throw them back there. Well, don't you know if you throw things back there, they get stuck? Mm-hmm. But Do you know if you go back there, you get stuck? Mm-hmm. How are we supposed to get you out of there now? I want to get out of here. Well, how are we supposed to get you out now? I want to have help. Okay. No. You promise not to go behind the couch anymore? Mm-hmm. For real? Mm-hmm. Help. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're full of baloney. One. Oh. Two. <laughs> I need some help. I'm a horrible mother to be laughing. Suck it in, go. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Are you okay? Yeah. Are Thanks you? for saving me. <laughs> now, could you get the, the police car out <laughs> and we're out there? I think should have a ton of views, right? It's so cute. Thanks for saving me. I mean, he had real gratitude. 
And that's what happens. We get in sin, you know. He didn't want to admit it at first, you know. He had sorrow. He was more sorrowful because of his predicament. He didn't want to deal with his sin, you know. Then he dealt with that. And I don't know. We'll see if, I don't know. If, it'd be nice to interview the parents. Say, do you throw toys back there later or not, you know. But uh, so cute. And, uh, but guess what? We're not little cute little kids that God saved. We're grown adults now. We've passed the age of accountability, and we either stick our feet in the ground and we rebel or we say, you know, Lord, I need to get right with you. I know it. And we repent. We have a change of heart. We cry out to him. Amen. We need to make sure we have God the repentance. But when we're sharing the gospel with people, if you're not sharing the gospel clearly or you're sharing a way just to get some people to say yes or pray with you, which a lot of people do, you know, there's major denominations that keep lists of people that come to Christ through their ministries and so forth. And many of them lament that so many that have come to Christ that the great majority of these guys they never see again. They have no, no fruit and so forth. And a lot of that's because the way the gospel is being preached, you know. Uh, there's a feel-good gospel being preached, you know. You know, just turn to Jesus and he'll, he'll bless your life and, you know, you'll be really blessed and he'll, he'll give you a lot of money or, you know, you'll get a lot of health and wealth. And that's one of those, that's probably the most popular, that's definitely the most popular version of the gospel, uh, the way it's presented often on popular television, TBN, you know, and so forth, Trinity Broadcasting Network, with the word faith, the health and wealth preachers, you know, the word health uh, preachers and so forth. And, and it's a lot about money and so forth. And people, they come to know who Jesus is even sometimes in those places, but a lot of times they're following him for the wrong reason. And then when t life gets really tough and they go through tough times, they get angry because they're not healthy and wealthy perhaps. Um, I like that too because he, he needed help, man. We can't get out of our predicament. And notice how the way was so narrow for him. You know, it made me think of the, so many scriptures. But it's interesting uh, we have to make sure that we are truthful and that we speak the truth in love, you know, uh, and how we communicate the gospel. Are we loving people when we minister to them? Are we kind-hearted? It's hard to speak the truth in love sometimes. And that's why we have to make sure that we're humble and we recognize that we've been saved by grace and that we never forget that. That's something that's so easy for people to forget is that they've been saved by grace. And we know that we've been saved by grace and we praise God for that. But as we go out on our Christian walk, we start walking a holy walk. And sometimes we get just really, and we ought to, disgusted with the wickedness of the world. And we ought to, but we start to get disgusted sometimes with the people and start, stop forgetting that God loved us and we're supposed to be loving them. Amen? And it's interesting. And I know it's hard. The Bible says speak the truth in love, but we should have a compassion for people. You know, and you know, and it's tough because I know sometimes I was driving down the freeway. Uh, Travis Key and I were fellowshipping, and I was getting home. I was came coming down Erringer, going to my house, taking a left off of Erringer off the freeway, and I had the inside lane. And uh, there was a guy next to me, and he was a little bit ahead of me. And as we turned, I was like halfway back from him. He couldn't see me, but well, I don't know if he could see my vehicle, and I couldn't see me. And he went into my lane by like a foot, you know, like over the deal. At least I perceive it as about a foot. I'm like moving toward the island, you know. And uh, I'm like, whoa, man. And I give a beep, beep, you know. I didn't give one of those mean beeps. But I was like, beep, beep, like, dude, you know. And then he kind of cruises. But, and then he gives me the finger, okay. Not that finger, right. <laughs> gives me the finger, you know. And, uh, and then we're headed toward Erringer. I'm like, dude. So I roll down my window. I catch up to him and say, what are you, a two-year-old? You know, no, I didn't say that to him. Okay. I was like, Lord, help me be kind. But 
you know. You know, my heart's beating a little bit. I'm like, I cruise up to him. It's a construction truck, you know, like one of the mason trucks you have, Joe, or uh, big old mason trucks. And, uh, and, and I catch up to him because the red light's coming. And I roll down my window. His window was already down. That's how he got his finger out so fast. He's just like, you know, this. <laughs> and I go, hey, dude, you know. And I'm like, I have to raise my voice because he's not going to hear me. But I don't want to raise it in a mean way. So I just tried to be kind. I go, hey, dude, I was just let you know, man, you're getting in my lane, you know. You're going to hit me. And he's like, I wasn't in your lane. I go, dude, I had to move over. And uh, just let you know, no big deal. Just let you know, man, that's what was going on there. He goes, well, I do kind of ride the line. And, and he, he goes, I do kind of ride the line. Because at first he went look at me, you know. And then he looked. He goes, and then as he's talking, he goes, he goes Joe, Joe Schimmel, is that you? <laughs> Uh, and, uh, and I go, Steve, it was Steve Aguilar. I go, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> no, it wasn't Steve Aguilar. The reason I was able to pick on Steve and Carol with all those love jokes the other day was because they, they have such a good relationship. I love the relationship and their love for each other. So they, I could see them saying some of those things to each other early on, you know, <laughs> but that's something, that's something Steve would never do. Right. And, uh, he goes, Joe, Joe Schimmel, is that you? And just as he was saying that, and I wanted to say something, like, believe it or not, and if you know me, it just comes out of me because it's the Holy Spirit. And it's that with, probably with you a lot as well, many of you, is I want to say, hey, dude, no problem. Hey, I love you, man. No biggie. But I thought, but I didn't say I love you because I thought he might be like, dude, what's, you know, take it the wrong way these days, right? Because he don't know our Christian love, you know? But what's weird is he goes, Joe, Joe, Joe Schimmel, is that you? And just as I recognize him, I recognized him, too, just at that moment. I saw him. I haven't seen him since, like, junior high. I shouldn't say that. I haven't talked to him since junior high. I saw him since. And I uh, played football with him in uh, Mighty Might Football or with Pop Warner, period, you know. And, uh, and Peggy and Kenny, you guys know him. I won't say his last name, but he's a great guy. Yep, that, that's exactly who he is. Uh, I could read your lips from here. Wow. That's what happens when your ears start not working as well. Like, wow. Uh, anyway, how do you even know that? That's a trip, man. And you know what? He, go, he goes, I just, and then uh, I go, hey, man, we got to get together because I want to show the gospel with him. And, I, and then I'm coming up the next red light over at uh, Royal and Erringer. And he's kind of behind a little bit. And I'm like trying to wait, you know. And, uh, and he's like, yeah, we got to get together. Oh, I'm sorry. And he said, he said it. He goes, hey, Joe, I love you, man. I'm like, wow. I go, praise God, man. I go, you know, I was just remembering your, who you were as you said my name. I realized who you were, you know. And uh, hopefully one day he'll be in here. He's like, really a great guy. And I met him in football. We were both playing like linebacker. I think I was linebacker with him for a while on defensive end. And then we end up, uh, he wanted, we end up hanging out together for some time. And then we just lost track of each other, party years. And then I haven't seen him for years. I think I saw him one time at a house walking in when I was at work. And it was kind of a party house. And I just, you know, passing ships. I don't think we even said a word. And I thought, but it was one of those persons I prayed about off and on. Lord, I hope that guy gets saved. I feel bad that we didn't remain friends. You kind of, we lived in way different tracks, far away from each other. And we just kind of fell out, you know. But I thought, Lord, I'd love to share the gospel with him and so forth. And, and I thought, wow, praying. We talked about praying for divine appointments. I mean, I think that was a divine appointment, you know. And I was like, and, and he said, he, go, he said this. He goes, the first thing he said was, Joe, is that you? I go, I go yeah. And then I said his name. And then he goes, he goes, man. I looked at you and I thought, that guy's a big guy. He could maybe pound me to a pulp. And he goes, but then I thought, he's being so nice to me, you know. 
which I was. You know, I was like, hey, dude. And I was just, I kind of smiled. Like, hey, dude, just let you know you're coming to my deal. So, uh, and I was like telling my wife, I'm like, I'm so glad I was a good witness to him because he said, you're being, you're being so nice to me. I, he was trying to process what was going on, you know. And uh, that's speaking the truth in love, right, to a degree, right? And uh, my wife goes, yeah, but how was he feeling after you flipping off? I think, I can't believe I flipped him off, you know. I go, I don't know, you know. He probably thought it was some obnoxious driver, you know. But uh, not that that gives you warrant. We're Christians. We don't do that, amen. But uh, we need to speak the truth in love to people, amen. And the love of God, it says, is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So instead of having road rage, you know, and getting angry and getting in the flesh, we need to pray for people. You know, I, try to, I always try to, when I'm driving, I don't always pull it off, but if somebody's driving erratically and they're disrespectful and they're in your lane and they could care less, I try to think of it as being my mom, you know. Where are you, mom? She's here today, visiting from Idaho. Uh, there you are. Man, you can't even see me. You're probably like, yeah, I see you all day now. She's visiting us, living with us. But, uh, and I try to think, you know what? That could be somebody else's mom, somebody else's brother, somebody don't know what they're going through. Just love them, you know. They need Christ, you know, or maybe they, they're a Christian and they just need to learn how to drive better or whatever it is, you know. So we need to walk in love and we need to recognize that we can speak the truth in love. And when we're witnessing to people, we don't want to have this self-righteous, snobbish thing that, that we're righteous, we're Christians. Because guess what? We're, hopefully you're walking way different than you walked before you were a Christian. True Christians have a change in their lives, right? The Bible says if anyone be in Christ... He's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have come new, become new, right? So it's important. And I want to talk to you about the power tool that I think is way underrated. In fact, it's not used today to win people to Christ. And it's one of the most effective means to win people to Christ. And I want to talk to you about that today. And I'll talk to you and, and let you realize that... Uh, First of all, we need to, Romans 3.23, we need to share people with people in a humble way, in a loving way. And that's what I try to do when I share the gospel. I try to let people know I'm in the same predicament. Without Christ, I'd be in the same situation. That I'm a fellow beggar that has received eternal life. And now I'm sharing that message with you. Amen? And because if you come high and mighty as though you're like an angel sent to you because you're a rotten sinner, dude. And I got the answer. And they know you're a human being. They're going to be like, what? But you need to come as a humble person. Like, you know what? I've been saved by God's grace. And I love Romans 3.23 because it says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It shows, us, it shows them that, guess what? You're part of that group who sinned. And that word, uh, harmatia, is a word that was used for, you know, shooting a bow and missing the mark. We have all fall short of God's glory. We've all sinned. We fall short. Of, we all miss living like God's called us to live. We're in rebellion to God. And it's all, it's including the person sharing with them that I'm a sinner saved by grace. So you remember that that could easily be you, but by the grace of God. Amen? So we have nothing to boast in except the cross of Christ. Amen? That's why we exalt Jesus when it comes to our salvation. Because it's all of him. Amen? We're the beggars who get the gift. And we need to bring it, bring it that way to other people. We need to let them know that you're, we're all guilty. You know, uh, Lisa and I, we were driving with her dad and trying to spend a lot of time with him in the year or so before he had died. And we were driving with him. I forget where we were going, just hanging out. I think we met him going to Santa Monica Aquarium or something like that. And he, we were sharing stories on the road, you know. And uh, the story I just shared with you just happened a couple days ago. And, uh, and he was sharing, you know what? I remember one time, and he drove a lot. He was a sales guy for quite a few years. And he was driving down the road, and he was like, 
you know, I was driving down the road, and I was going the speed limit, not the speed limit. I was going just a little bit faster than the speed limit, maybe 10 miles an hour. I don't know what he said exactly. And he said, but it was with traffic, and I was in like the middle lane, and a cop comes over and just pulls me over. I was like, what, what's he pulling me over for? I'm just going with everybody else. And he got pulled over. He wrote him a ticket. And he said, then I just got the nerve to say, hey, I just want to let you know, why do you pick me out of everybody? Everybody else was breaking the law too. And why do you pick me out? He goes, the, he goes, you know all these guys? He goes, yeah. He goes, don't worry. I'll get them too. You know? And he was like, whoa. He realized, you know what? He wasn't being impartial. He's just enforcing the law. And guess what? You might think that you've escaped death somehow or that you've escaped God's judgment. The Bible says in Hebrews 9.27, it's the point of man wants to die, but after this, the judgment. The Bible says that we are all, Romans 14, going to stand before the judgment seat of God. Every single person will, okay? And it's, you know, some will stand under the great, great throne judgment. Others will be at the Bema seat judgment, which is two different judgments. Believers get judged first, but we're not judged for salvation because Christ was already judged on the cross in our stead, amen? amen. But we all stand before God to give an account uh, for our souls. So I want to encourage you because I want you to listen to Proverbs chapter 11, verse 30. Proverbs eleven thirty. The fruit of, and this is from the Amplified Version, the fruit of the consistently righteous is a tree of life. And he who is wise captures and wins souls for God. He gathers them for eternity. Okay? And the king, or you know, a lot of translations say, simply say, uh, like the King James, he who wins souls is wise. You want to be a wise person. You want to be a soul winner, amen? As Christians, man, we emphasize we're supposed to be soul winners. And I love this fellowship for a lot of reasons, but I love to see so many people like to go out and share the gospel in so many different ways. I love it. It's just beautiful. Whether it's, uh, you know, Diana just talking about family members they've been witnessing to for, was it 20 years you said, Diane? family friends, okay, or whether it's them going to the streets or them going to Mexico, right, helping build the church there. Uh, a lot of people do different things, and some people are focused on this or focused on that, but we all need about preaching. We need to be about our Father's business, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Praise God. He is good. In fact, the scriptures say uh, in the last verse of James, I can't wait to go through James, you know, and I thought, man, Steve's going to be preaching on, he said he's going to be preaching on being doers of the word. I'm like, man, I'm going to James, man. That's right around the corner. But I thought, don't worry, Joe, you won't be there for like a half a year. So that's probably really good. Steve's going to really fire them up. <laughs> but I thought it's interesting because James 5.20, the last verse of James says, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and hide a multitude of sins. Amen? So we're encouraged to be soul winners. Amen? Jesus called them his disciples, what? Fishers of men. Amen? And they were fishermen, but he said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Joe has a really cool, uh, he makes great fishing rods, man. And it's like, I think you have the scripture in Matthew, right? And fishers of men on the rod. Amen? And we're supposed to be fishing for people, guys. Fishing for souls. We're supposed to be firemen for Christ. Amen? Jude says, snatching them out of the fire. Amen? We've got people. How could we, you know, how could we, have a heart for God and be serious about following him and not care about everybody that's going to hell. We have to, if that's the case, we need to say, Lord, give me more love for the lost. Amen? Give me a, a compassion for the people that are lost. Help my heart beat with the love that your heart beats with. Amen? 
And I can honestly say, when this guy did that, I had no angst toward him. I'm like, he cut me off. He cut into my lane. And now he's denying it. It was still cool. I'm like, he didn't, you know, he's whatever. I don't know what's exactly going through his mind. And before I knew who he was, you know, it was, and even, and it was even easier to love him afterwards. It was really cool because I got to see, I got, wow, man, I was just trying to love that guy. Let him know, hey, there's a situation here. You got to be careful, man. And, uh, and I'm the kind of, my wife hates it. And I don't think it's a good practice for everybody because if somebody does something crazy on the road, sometimes I'll let them know, you know. But that, people, she goes, what if he pulled out a gun, you know. Well, then he'd probably feel more guilty than flipping me off right now, you know. But the thing is, is you want to be careful in how you minister to people. But, uh, and obviously I didn't have the chance to share the gospel at that point. But you want to try to share the gospel with people, the principle of trying to be prayed up, being full of the Holy Spirit throughout the day, saying, Lord, use me. I'm going to be going through trials. I'm going to be throwing persecutions. I'm going to be going through temptations. Help me walk in the light. Help me be under the blood of Christ. And may I be filled with your Holy Spirit so I can be, a re be ready to give a man an answer for anyone that has a hope in me. So I'll be ready in season, out of season. Amen. We need to continue to walk in the Spirit every day because these souls are perishing forever and ever. And we have one shot at this, guys. Because when we die, we're going to be with the Lord. And use your life. Right now you might say, well, this is, if you're looking back and say, what's my track record as far as being a witness? I'm more interested for your sake and mine, what's our track record now going to be in the next years that we have, that we're, right? What's the last chapters of our lives going to be like as far as modeling Christ and our family, with our home, with the people that live around us, and among the lost, and lifting up Jesus, and exalting his name, and giving him glory in our lives, and, and uh, being fishers of men, snatching people out of the fire. So important. I love Matt, or Psalm 19.7. Listen to what this says. This is a key. This is the power tool I want to talk about today. We've talked about several power tools now. I think we've had like three messages on different power tools. And the first couple messages looked at more than one. But to me, this is like, you need this in your holster. Okay, you need this in your toolbox. And this should be used almost every time you witness. And I would say every time. But I can see when Paul says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. He didn't pull this out. But I think they already understood. The guy was already under conviction. So they're already under the conviction of God's law. But listen to what Psalm 19.7, it's the key that brings godly repentance in so many people that's not being used the way it ought to be used. Psalm 19.7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. You hear that? The law of the Lord is perfect, God's law, converting the what? Soul. His law converts the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. There's so much power in using the law of God. I love what Walter Martin used to say. Before you give them Jesus, give them... Remember that one? I quote that sometimes. Before you give them Jesus, give them who? Give them Moses. Give them the law. The law is written on everybody's hearts. Amen? The law is written on everybody's hearts. And everybody's born with a conscience. And that conscience kicks in as they grow older. They hit an age of accountability. They recognize that they're morally bankrupt. They have what we call guilt. Not just Christians that have guilt. Everybody grows up and they have a sense of guilt that they've done wrong. Sins of commission. Sins when you commit. Commission when you, of commission is a sin where you commit and it says thou shalt not. Your conscience says no. It's wrong to, to lie or it's wrong to take something that doesn't belong to you. It's wrong to lust or it's wrong to have. And then you go with that anyway. That's a sin of commission. A sin of omission is when you omit something God says to do. Right? Like there's times, even before you're a believer, you knew you should have been kind to somebody, you weren't. 
because you were bitter, you were angry, or whatever. Or, or you should have done this, or you should have taken out the trash when you were a little kid, or what. You didn't. We have sins of commission and omission. We have a conscience. But what the Bible says is that humans sear their consciences as with a hot iron, right? 1 Timothy chapter 4. You can sear, and that's the problem in a lot of humanity, right? That's why we have sociopaths, psychopaths. That's why we have the rise of serial killers in the last so many years, because people just have no conscience anymore. So we have all these school shootings and everything else. People's consciences have been seared. Well, God's law, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, and we've already talked about the power of the Holy Spirit to convict the world of sin, amen, and the Holy Spirit uses us to share God's truth to bring conviction upon the lost. And so they respond to the light of God and God's holy law and see, wow, I'm blowing it. And what happens is those who have ignored their consciences through just becoming hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, through uh, you know, uh, becoming callous, as it says in Ephesians chapter 4, unfeeling, they just don't have feelings. And then when you bring the law and you seek to resurrect their conscience, which they've shut down with drugs, alcohol, all sorts of things. You seek to resurrect their conscience because you're praying, Father, by your Holy Spirit, convict them through your law. Show them that they're sinners and they need Christ because people don't know they need Jesus until they see Moses. Right? And I'm using Moses figuratively as the law because they think everything's fine. I'm going down the road Every, like everybody else at 70 miles an hour, 75 miles an hour, like Lisa's dad. I'm cool because we're all going that speed. No, you're not cool. You know, you're breaking the law. Okay. And now the infringement of that law, according to, you know, California state law is, you know, a little a fine or something like that. But when you break God's law, and we break his laws multiple times through life, they add up. And sorrow is not enough. Sorrow is not enough. Let's say you robbed a bank and you're facing prison and, you're, and the judge is about ready to give you a sentence and you're crying, you're bawling. You can you say, judge, I'm sorry. You know, I'm sure you're going to let me off because you see how sorry I am. No, sorrow doesn't get you out of the law. You still have to do your time, right? But the cool thing with God is he pays the fine, amen? And if you have sorrow, right? Godly sorrow that brings repentance where you have a change of heart. You say, I want to be right with you. He forgives you because of the merits of Christ, because of the atonement, because of what Jesus did on the cross for our sins. Amen? So it's quite amazing. Ray Comfort is a good friend of mine. I love Ray. And we support each other's ministries. We promote each other's ministries. He's been a huge blessing to us. And he's probably the most famous uh, street evangelist. Not probably. He is. His ministry. Living Waters. If you, if you don't have Living Waters in your favorites, you might put Living Waters there. He gives a lot of Really great instruction on how to win the lost. A lot of great videos of seeing him and many of his teammates out there sharing the gospel. He's so, such a great brother, so effective. But he wrote a book called Hell's Best Kept Secret. Great book, Hell's Best Kept Secret. And that's, you know what the Hell's Best Kept Secret is, according to Ray in that book? Is not using the law. Don't use the law to bring people to Christ. Because Satan knows how effective the law is in bringing people to conviction and repentance and salvation. And he gives a really cool analogy in there, which I've used a few times. I think it's a great analogy. And in that analogy, he has, and some of you have heard me use it before, maybe you've heard Ray use it. I think it's a great analogy. Is you have an you know, airplane, and it's up 25,000 feet, and it's about ready to go down. I'm going to kind of modify the analogy and not use every aspect he uses, maybe add a couple aspects because I'm just going from memory. Uh, and I don't want to read, read all the way through it, but there's two uh, basic 
options because what happens is the pilot's like, hey, we're going down. And we only have a couple parachutes. And we only have a couple extra parachutes, you know. So you can get these parachutes to the people out there. Just, but you only got a couple, so just be discreet. And then one sort of like, okay, okay. And she's like, find somebody. And she's kind of timid. And she's like, they, she doesn't want to offend them because she's asking them to put on a parachute. And she goes to Joel Osteen's church. And she's got that secret sense of gospel, you know. She says, hey, you might want to put this on. You want to put this parachute on because it'll make you feel good, you know. You'll be happy, joyful when you put this parachute on. And he's like, why would I want to put that on? She keeps saying, come on, just try it. It'll make you so happy, you know. And then all of a sudden he just puts it on, right? And then another stewardess is like, she's like, she's just real, a realist, man. She sees a guy. She goes, you know what? We're going to be dropping. We're going out. We're going to crash. We're at 25,000 feet. And he's going to open up the exit door at 25,000 feet. And if you don't want to crash and burn, you need to put this parachute on. What does that guy do? Give me the parachute. Now, the other guy's told, hey, you're going to be happy. You know, you're going to have all these wonderful experiences if you put this on. You're going to have full of joy. And then all of a sudden, people start snickering. And he's hunched over. He's uncomfortable. Seats, you know, the seats are, let's put it modern day, right? I think he gave this analogy like 25 years ago. But there's no room for your legs already. And he's hunched over like this. And people are laughing at him and snickering at him. And he doesn't feel even more joyful now. He's getting persecuted, going through tribulations. Turbulence is getting worse. What's he going to do with that parachute? Gotta chuck it. This isn't making me more happy, you know? But the other guy, man, when he starts feeling the turbulence and starts hearing the engines grind and everything else, is he like, I'm getting rid of this parachute? What's he doing? He's cleaning that parachute, amen. And that's what, you know, that's where it's a false gospel presentation when you tell somebody, hey, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and he'll make you happy. Now, I'm not saying that you can't say that when you have Jesus, you have joy, okay? There's truth to that. And you can say that, but that's not the crux of the gospel. They need to know that they're being sentenced to hell. Amen? And if they reject it, you know, you, you let them know, hey, guess what? We're all sentenced to hell. The Lord loves you. But Jesus died in your place and bore your sins and paid the fine so you can have eternal life. And if you embrace him as your Lord and Savior and put on the Lord Jesus, you know, thou shalt be saved. And then they go through trials and tribulations and persecutions, right? And guess what? Huh, let me think. You're blind. The Bible says that the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. I know what's going to happen if I don't have Jesus. Amen? And guess what? We get thrown in eventually. You start to realize as a Christian, many, we get love and peace and joy and all that, right? But we don't preach the gospel saying, just turn to Jesus so you can have love, peace, and joy, and everything's going to be cool. No, you need to say, guess what? It's the point of man wants to die, but after this judgment, all of sin and come to the glory of God. The wage of sin is death. We're going down. We deserve it. And we're going to face the wrath of God unless we accept the good news that Jesus Christ died in our place and was buried and rose again and conquered the grave, and we have eternal life through faith in him. We preach the clear gospel of Jesus Christ. And by the way, that's how people preach the gospel for centuries and centuries until the last hundred years ago or, or, or hundred years or so now even less than 100 years, where you have this kind of seeker-sensitive prosperity gospel. And we want to resurrect our consciences. And you, don't want to make, you want to make sure, even as a Christian, the Bible says, to keep a good conscience. But our consciences are very important. And that's when you're dealing with people, you're trying to deal with their own sense of right and wrong or immorality, and then fill, fill those gaps that are contrary to the Word of God with the truth of God's law that we're guilty. 
You know, I read a story about a man who was a, he got really drunk one night. He was so drunk, staggering drunk. And he walked into his home and he couldn't even say, his dog came up, but he usually say hi to his dog. And he just, he just fell down on the ground, drunk. And his dog was kind of startled and just went up and snuggled next to him, you know. And then a couple thieves were trying to break in, right? They recognized the guy was really drunk. And they go, ooh. And they're breaking in. And they break in the house, right? The dog's barking. It's freaking out, you know, barking. And he's not, he, all he hears is the barking dog. Shut up. Ah. And then the dog keeps barking. And he grabs an old chair and chucks at the dog, you know. And he falls back down and falls asleep. He wakes up. Everything is gone except the broken chair and his dead dog, okay? And that dog's like old faithful, man, was just loved him, right? And that's what you do when you destroy your conscience. The very thing that God's given to warn you that you should be thankful for to helps you stay on the straight and narrow. You don't want to sear it, amen? And non-Christians have done that, and they've basically destroyed an ally that God's given them. But by using the law, amen, and praying that the Holy Spirit would convict them, it's a very, very powerful way to uh, get them to understand their need for Christ. Now, I want you to go to Galatians chapter 3, verse 24. Galatians chapter 3, uh, verse 24. And I want you to look at verse 24. And look at what Paul says. He's talking about the purpose of the law. Because... And I think it's important. I don't, I'm not getting into the background because it takes too much time. But, I'll just, but what, the, what does the verse actually say? Verse 24 says, Therefore the law has become our tutor. To what? To lead us to Christ, so that we may be justified by faith. So listen to what it says. Therefore the law has become our what? Tutor to what? Lead us to Christ, so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a tutor. So Paul is speaking specifically to believers at the church of Galatia who have been set free by Christ and the law served its purpose in leading them to Christ, but now they have these false teachers that came in and told them you have to keep the Ten Commandments. You have to keep all the Mosaic law. You have to be circumcised. You have to do all these things if you're going to be saved. And Paul says, no, that's not the purpose of the Old Testament law. And you as Christians here in this fellowship and those listening by way of live stream and brothers and sisters that are, are following this ministry and part of our, our, our family, we praise God for you, but you pro- a lot of you probably know, you know that we're under not under the law of Moses now, we're under what law? The law of, amen, the law of Christ. We're under the New Testament law, we're under the law of Christ. And we don't keep the law of Christ in the New Testament as a means to be saved. We're saved by his shed blood on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection. But we keep it as a guide as how to glorify him and live a life that is uh, pleasing to him, which reflects who he is. And as we become more like Jesus, the more we keep the, the new covenant law. But they were trying to put them under the old covenant law, under the Mosaic law. And this is interesting. Paul says, when you come to Christ, you're no longer under the what? The Old Testament law, the tutor. The tutor. And that's important because sometimes people say you have to keep the Sabbath in the Old Testament to be saved. Really? Where does it say in the New Covenant that we have to keep the Sabbath? I can show just the opposite. Or you have to be circumcised to be right with Jesus. No, that's part of the Old Covenant, Law of Moses. But the Law of Moses plays a role in leading so many of these Jews came to Christ, those that did come to Christ, God used the law in their hearts to convict them. Well, the non-believer that's, ne- that's a Gentile, 
They may not have the Sabbath law and circumcision. They won't. But guess what law they do have? The moral law of God. It's written in their hearts. Paul says it. That's, and it's expressed through their conscience. Romans chapter 2. So when you preach the word of God, and you preach God's commands, His holy commands, right? Thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not lie. These types of laws, they come under conviction. Well, it says the law is a tutor that leads them to Christ. The Greek word for tutor there in the New Testament was written in Greek. It's pedagoge. Okay? And pedagoge was used of in ancient times, in biblical times, of tutors that would take care and help raise the kids for the parents. And they would dish out the spankings and things like that. And the kid, as he got older, couldn't wait to get away from the tutor because all discipline and everything. And it was finally set free, right? And, uh, well, guess what? When you, the law is a tutor that leads us to Christ in a relationship with our Father, amen? And this is what you need to understand. We want to lead more people to Jesus, Amen. Therefore, we need the tutor to help us bring them to Jesus. Amen? And basically, God, by his Holy Spirit, uses a tutor, and he's basically using us to bring his influence upon them because he uses human agents. Amen? So God wants to use you to use the tutor that is geared to lead them to who? Lead them to Jesus. Is that the brother that wanted the Jehovah's Witness stuff? I got the Watchtower uh, stuff from the Joe Witnesses. I got that. I'll have it in my car next week for you. I found it. Praise God. Praise the Lord. I'm sorry. I just saw you. I want to remind I haven't seen him for a couple weeks because I've just been going. And uh, how to witness the JWs. Powerful, powerful thing. Anyway, uh, so you want to lead people to Jesus, and you want to use the law to do so. Are you with me? Does it say, tell them, if, it, it's by telling people that they can have a big smile that you lead them to Christ. Is that what it says? No, man. It says by using the law. Amen? And man, you get under conviction, you know. Uh, a lot of people fall under, I mean, Chad will give his testimony a lot. A number of people that go to this fellowship. Uh, I didn't even realize how many people. I didn't, I didn't know Aileen saw the presentation and came to Christ. I'm like, I've known you all these years. That's awesome. I know like Wendy did. And, I know, and then who else was I just, uh, Greg Key. You know, we're going to have his memorial pretty soon. Travis was saying he saw they sold their souls for all. Rock and roll. He came to Christ that way, right? Joe Bowman, that's how you came up. Praise God. God is good, you know? And, uh, but Chad, Chad Davidson will give his testimony. He saw they sold their souls for rock and roll, came to Christ. The Lord's done that tens of thousands of times over in people's lives, but it's neat to see people here. But this is an awesome thing. Is it's not because, you know, they, some dude is sharing about music. It's because they come under conviction. And Chad said when at the end of the presentation... The fear of God came upon him when I quoted Matthew 12, 30. He says, you quoted, you know, he that's not, Jesus said, he that's not with me is against me. He that gathers not with me scatters abroad. He goes, when you said that, I knew, man, I was in trouble with God, and I need to get right, and I need to get saved. He says, at that point, I got on my knees and confessed my sins and turned to Christ. And you guys would agree, Chad's never been the same since, right? So it's the Scripture. It's the Word of God. It's not our power of our persuasion. It's the power of God's persuasion from his holy word that we realize if we're against the Lord and we're under his wrath, we need to be made right with him, amen? So law shows us that, there's a, that we've broken his law, but the authority behind the law is the creator of the universe that we're going to stand before and we're going to pay the consequences of that law unless we accept the payment that God has paid on our behalf, you know? And it's very, very important that we get this, that we understand this. And you know what? You're like, man, but it's getting so hard out there. It's getting so lawless. This is increasing everywhere. Guess what? Yeah, it's getting harder, but it's getting easier. Because lawlessness is what? 
increasing in the last days, Lebanese is growing cold. That means people are more overtly lawbreakers. And the gospel should make even more sense to them. Amen? They might be so hardened. It's like, well, yeah, a lot of them will be hardened. But others know deep down, man, they radically are breaking God's law now. Be like the days of Lot. Like it was in Sodom and Gomorrah. Be like the days of Noah. Right? That's the day. So for me, it's getting easier and easier in some ways to witness because, yeah, people are more deluded in some ways, so it's harder in some ways, but it's easier in other ways because when you use God's law, and the Bible describes God's law as a mirror, right? And when you look in a mirror, what do you see? Your reflection of what you look like. But God's mirror is perfect. So when you see your reflection, you're seeing actually a reflection of Christ, his perfect law, and then you're seeing your reflection in his reflection, and you're seeing all these messed up areas where you don't look like God. You see, the law says, is summarized, be holy as he is what? Holy. Be perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect. The law is a reflection of God's holy and loving nature. Do you understand that? When we look at the law of God, we're basically saying, hey, this is what the Lord looks like. These are his attributes. This is what he calls you to. This is who he is. And they're seeing themselves in the face of who God is, and they're seeing themselves as lawbreakers. Understand this. This is why the law emphasizes truth so much, right? Not to bear false witness against your neighbor, not to lie, speak the truth in love. Why? Because God is, he's, and he's truth. So the law shows you when you're not being truthful because God is truth. It's a reflection of who he is. Do you understand? He's pure truth. I'm the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus says. The law shows you that when you're not being truthful, guess what? It shows you that you need Jesus, man. The law shows you what true love is. And when you're not being loving, it shows you you need true love. Amen? And that you need Jesus because you're not being loving. Because Jesus says, if, you know, how do you keep the law? Love the Lord your God with your whole heart, soul, strength, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. So love, because God is love, amen? And when you are not walking in love, you're breaking those laws. And what happens is the non-believer is breaking those laws all the time. But guess what? If you just say, hey, you know what? You're falling short of being a loving person. You need to find, show them what that means biblically. doesn't mean that you, you, know, you, you, you give to save a couple trees and then you get a pass the rest of your life. You let them know they need God's, they need salvation and that they're not loving the way God's called them to be loving. So God's law is beautiful. It's perfect. It's wonderful. And guess what? The morality of the law never changes. It's always wrong to murder and steal and hate and all those things, right? So that's, that's why the new covenant law, the law of Christ, continues to show God's character. Amen? The Old Testament law were pictures and types and holidays and a lot of things that pointed to Christ, but now we have the reality in Jesus. We don't need the shadow. We have the reality. Amen? But when it comes to his moral law, it's important that we understand that we need to, God's law is reflected in his word. It's a reflection of his holy nature. In fact, let's get a little deeper now. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. And the law is actually, you know who the law is given for? It's not given for the righteous, it's given for the unrighteous. Talk about the Old Testament law and the, the, the law that's written in our hearts. It's, it says in, it's a, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8, But we know that the law is good 
Paul says, if one uses it lawfully. Now Paul is concerned because there are people that are at the church at Ephesus who are misusing God's law. They're in the genealogies from the Old Testament and everything. They're into telling people they have to keep the law of Moses and so forth. And Paul says, the law is good if one uses it lawfully, uses it rightfully. Verse 9, realizing the fact that the law is not made for what? A righteous person. But for those who what? Who are lawless rebellious and rebellious and for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers and immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching. So law is given for the unrighteous to show them their need for Jesus. Amen? Now the moral law is still written in our hearts because it's a guide. So if we get off and we're not walking in faith anymore, it shows us, uh uh-oh, I need to confess my sin because Jesus paid for my sins and walk in righteousness. But we're not talking about the Mosaic law at that point. Again, we're talking about the law of Christ. So why the law? The law is what? Converts the soul. Amen? How does it convert the soul? It convicts the sinner of sin and shows them their need for Jesus. Amen? Now go to Romans chapter 3, verse 19. Romans 3, 19. I love this. In Romans 3... 19, it says, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed, and all the world may become accountable to God. Guess what? Everybody's mouth will be shut. And guess what the law does? It shuts you up. It's like, you know what? Can I say that I'm perfect when I look at the law? Can I say that I've never taken anything ever that didn't belong to me, or I never said something that was even a small lie ever in my life? And no one's perfect. Amen? The Bible says all of sin and come short of the glory of God. And the Bible says if you say you're without sin, you're a liar, the truth is in you. So this relates to everybody. The cool thing is, everybody's been born with a conscience. The cool thing is, everybody you witness to can relate to the gospel. You don't need to make it contemporary, because it already is contemporary, right? Now it's interesting. He goes on to say, verse 20, look at this. Because by the works of the law, and what? No flesh will be justified or made right in his sight. For through the law, listen to this last line. Verse 20 of the last line. For through the law comes the knowledge of what? Comes the knowledge of sin. So when you start to see God's law, you become aware, I am a sinner. How many liberals out there, how many woke people think that they're righteous and they're promoting all baby, killing babies in the womb and they're promoting, you know, transgenderism, all kinds of just wickedness. They don't even know what's right and wrong. They're calling good evil and evil good, like it says in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. Well, you need to open his word and say, this is wrong, man. This is the God that created the universe. And you're totally going the wrong way. And you're guilty for him, just like I was guilty, but now I've been set free by the blood of Christ, not by my own doing, but you can also have this grace that will set you free. So it says, through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And I'll give a really quick analogy because I've given this one in the past, but it's one that I, when I went through it, I'm like, I, when I became a Christian, I'm like, wow, that's interesting. I consider the law how it works is we used to live in a track where, uh, where you know, I was born in Simi Valley, you know, at a doctor's office before they had the community hospital up there, Simi Valley Hospital. And I was born in a doctor's office, and I grew up in the same track all my life until I got married, you know, in the early 20s. And what happened was that when we'd go down through our track, we'd head toward First Street downhill, we'd really be jamming. Remember the Otz's house, Peggy? And we'd go by the Otz's house because that was the corner house. He'd whip around on the sidewalk. But if you ripped around on the sidewalk, that was one of the busier streets in Simi Valley at the time. You could be dead. So really cool. We thought it was cool. There was a track. There was a, 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 somebody had a, made a little 
roadway right th through their yard diagonally. So you don't have to go through the corner. You just go, and I would just, you remember that? Remember that little deal? And we just take it all the time, right? Until one time we took it and there was a sign that said, keep off our lawn. And we took it anyway. And there were nails sticking up out of boards, you know? And uh, I was with my friend Takio and he was all upset. And I was like, like man, what are they doing, man, with our path? It's not our path, it's their path. And they're digging up the, you know, the wood with the nails in it. And, and uh, it's funny because guess what? I felt bad now every time I took that trail after that, you know? Not that I always took it after that. I think I did for a while, still off and on. They're looking. I knew I was guilty. Well, guess what? You reach the age of accountability where you realize you're guilty. And the world, God's already telling them. He convicts them by his Holy Spirit, okay? He already, he lights the heart of everyone that comes in the world, John chapter 1, amen? So there's already a sense of conviction. God's already at work in them. Even before you get to them, you have to understand that. And plus then when you're praying for them for divine appointments and that God would impress upon people that you're going to share with, I believe the Holy Spirit begins to even ratchet that witness up through his providence. He knows how to orchestrate everything. He has this in the right place at the right time. And guess what? There comes a time where we have to realize, it says right here, the law comes and I'll just sin. When that law was up, don't cross our lawn. I realize this is wrong. And the Bible says, look at chapter 5, verse 20 of Romans. Go to, go to just a couple chapters later, Romans 5.20. Look what he says. The law came in so that the transgression would what? Increase. But where sin increased, grace what? Abounded all the more. So the law came that transgression might increase. So we feel like, man, so the law shows you you're even worse than you thought you were. You know? Hey, you know what? I was just going 60, I was just going 70 like everybody else, right? I was just going 75 like everybody else. And then they show you more closely. Okay, let's look. You've passed 10 warnings that said, or a dozen warnings that said, slow down, go 15 miles an hour. And plus, look at the video. See these kids walking with these kids and stuff? This is a blind children's convention you're starting through, you know? <laughs> and all of a sudden it starts to, you start like, wait a second. I didn't realize I was so bad. Yeah, you're really, you're really rotten, okay? God's law shows us how bad we are the more we look at it because it's like a mirror, right? And we get to see how bad we are. And then go to Romans chapter 7, verses, verse 9 and following. It was once I was once alive, Paul says, apart from the law when he was a little kid, right? But when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. For sin taken opportunity through the commandment deceived me, and through it killed me. So then, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous, and good. Therefore, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? May it never be. Rather, it was sin, not because the law is good that I died, but because of my sin, in order that it might be shown to be sin by affecting my death through that which is good, so that through the commandment, sin would become what? Utterly sinful. God's commandments show us that we're utterly sinful, man. That we need the Savior. That we need Jesus. Amen. Look at verse 21. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, Paul says. Same with you, right? All of us, myself. The one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. I mean, I know God's law is right and I'm a sinner. But I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law in my mind, or of my mind, and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. So Paul says he became aware of the law. 
as a Pharisee, rejecting Christ. And then God's law was convicting him, though, man, I'm rotten. I know I can't keep all these commandments, but I'm Paul the Pharisee before he was converted to Christ. Amen. And the Lord says to Paul, how long will you continue to kick against the pricks, Paul? Kick against the goads. And goads were like these 15, 20 foot long sticks with sharp ends that would goad the ox that would stay and plow a straight line, right? And they'd kick against and get all bloody. The Lord's saying, how long, Paul, will you kick against the goads? When he appeared to him at the road to Damascus. Paul was already kicking against law, God's law, which was working in his heart. He was kicking against God's law. Didn't want to submit to God, even though he's preaching and having killed Christians killed because they're preaching the gospel. Not realizing that it's the very gospel of Jesus Christ that would set him free. And then we read this, verse 24. Wretched man that I am. The law shows you that you're wretched, utterly sinful, in need of grace. Who will set me free, he says, from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And guess what? Who's going to set me free? When you come to an end of yourself, you realize I'm guilty as charged. Who's going to set me free from being this corrupt person? Only Jesus Christ. And then you realize you're dead. You're, you don't have a parachute. You're going down to hell. You're wretched. You're going to be justly judged. But Jesus is there, man. And he paid the fine for you in your place. Amen. And if you embrace him, you receive the gift of eternal life. What a blessing that is. Are you seeing and understanding how the law leads people as a tutor to Christ? It makes you realize, I need to be saved. So why would we not use this powerful power tool in our arsenal and just go up to somebody else and say, hey, you know, God has a wonderful plan for your life. Why don't you come to Jesus? They'd be like, get away from me, Jesus freak. <laughs> but if you say, hey, guess what, man? Lord loves you. He does. But guess what? He loves you so much. He died to pay for your sins because guess what? You and me, we're all guilty of breaking God's law. We've all blown it. We've all blown it big time, and we all need to be saved. And then you encourage them in that reality, that truth. And you give them God's law and let them know that Jesus paid the penalty that they should have to pay when he died on the cross in their place so they could have the gift of eternal life. I'm going to go through this page and this page and this page another time because I've got to wind it up here. And it's basically the good person test, which many of you have heard, okay? And I'll get more depth to that another time. But you can give somebody a good person test, uh, which is really great. You just say, hey, you know, have you ever lied? Uh, everybody's going to have to admit that. Even if you take something really small, what does that make you? Uh, a liar? Have you ever taken something that belonged to you? Uh, even something small? Yeah, what's that make you? They'll say a stealer, usually. You mean, they mean a thief, you know, you're a thief. Yeah, you're a thief. Have you ever uh, committed murder? No, but the Bible says if you hate someone, with, you know, you're, you're guilty of murder. Well, I guess so then. Have you ever committed sexual sin? Well, I've never slept with another woman or man. Or, but have you ever had lustful thoughts? Well, Jesus says if you lust for them, that's sin. And you bring them to the point. It's very simple, you know, and you just give them a very simple test. Have you ever put something before God? Because if they say no to all those things, I've never done any of those things. A lot of people don't use this part in the test. I love to use this part. It's the main part I like to get to because nobody can get around this. I say, have you ever put anything before God? Because not a Christian, they're probably God first, right? Do you ever like, you know, the Bible talks about putting things before God. It's idolatry. Idolaters go to the lake of fire. Have you ever put anything before God? Like, is he first in your life? You wake up in the morning, I'm going to serve you and glorify you, God. Uh, well, I guess I put everything before God. Yeah. 
You know, that's how I was before I was saved, man. But I found Jesus Christ and he saved me, man. You can be saved from the idolatry by embracing Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. Sometimes I'll just get to that one. You know, sometimes you go extensive, sometimes you go short, because that convicts everybody. But we need to bring them to the way of salvation, which is through Christ. Amen? Now, it's interesting. A couple little apologetics. I'm trying to give a little apologetics as we go through this of questions you might get instead of doing a bunch of things on the, answering the questions, which we'll probably do sometime in the future. But I try to, try to hit what you might say to somebody who has a... So sometimes people say to you, like a witness, when I was a tile setter, I was witnessing to a lady, and she's like, why do you, you born-again Christians always have to tell people about Jesus? And I just said, hey, and I think I've told you that story before because she was telling me about these giant catfish that are, they're finding in lakes that are hiding behind bushes and attacking people. And I asked her where she read that, and she said, the Inquirer is before the Internet, you know. When I was a dinosaur way back then. And I go, you just told me about these giant catfish, you know. I'm telling you about Jesus. I'm telling you about a reality, you know. And I said, the reason is, I go, what if the house is burning down, burning next door, and they're all going to die, and they don't know it's on fire. You can see it all from the outside. What are you going to do? And I'll give the analogy if someone says, well, why do you have to feel like you have to tell me this, you know? I go, you know what? If you know somebody's going to be go is going off a cliff and they're headed for a cliff and you don't say anything about it, what kind of person are you? I know you're headed for a cliff, man. It's worse than a cliff. You're headed for eternal judgment, man, in hell forever. You need to turn, you know? Or how about this one? How many you've probably heard this if you've street witnessed. Well, how, I believe there's more than one way. Or how come God made it so there's only one way? How come there's only one way? Why did God make it so there's only one way? And I'll explain to them. I'll say, you know what? God said in Galatians chapter 3, if there was a law, if God could have given a law by which people would have been saved, he'd give it. We couldn't be saved by a law because we're guilty. So we needed grace, amen? We needed what Jesus did on the cross. So I'll share with them when Jesus was in the garden. He said, Father, if possible, let this cup pass from me. In other words, if there's another way that people would be saved, other than him suffering the wrath of God on our behalf, God would have done it. But there was no other way. Because only Jesus paid for your sins. Not Buddha. Not Muhammad. Right? None of these guys paid for your sins. Here's another analogy you could use. Very effective analogy. Say, let's say you're burning, a building's burning. You're in a high rise. And the whole building's engulfed in flames. It's about ready to reach you. And there's no way out po possible. You're dead. But a firefighter gets, they get a firefighter up there. Right? on that side of the building, and he's just able to get to you with a huge ladder, and you're like, and he's going to save you. He says, come on, I'll just, just open your hand. I can grab it and pull you out. Are you going to say to him, how come this is the only way for me to be saved? <laughs> no. You're going to grab his hand. And you might argue with him, hey, wasn't there another way you could save me? You're not even going to come up with that. You're going to say, thank you for saving me. It's just a ridiculous question when you realize there's only one way to be saved. Do a little apologetics along the way, amen? That's something you could use when people say, well, why is there only way? Well, there's only one way because only Jesus died for your sins. Only God could pay the pay. There's no man that could redeem you. That's why Jesus came to save you. And you try to look for opportunities. I was given a short time. I was, did a wedding yesterday. I was told, you have 20 minutes. I'm like, 20 minutes, man? How do I get everything in 20 minutes? I said, well, I'm going to probably go 20, 25. Well, the coordinator wants you to go like 20. I'm like, yeah, but I want people to know Jesus, you know. It's like really hot. Yeah, but I'm the one standing in front of the sun, man, okay. So anyway, I'm like, how do I get the gospel in? So I love it because you could go to Adam died, right? We all die because of Adam. I love that because I get to go into the curse. We're all under a curse. I talked about we have to turn to Jesus because and build our lives on the rock. If we build it on the, broad, on the, on the sand, we're doomed. 
I said, you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. I said, don't argue with me. Jesus said that three times. You must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. I talked about how we're separated from God, right? And so you just get the gospel in some way, somewhere, when you're in certain situations. You know, I don't know. How long did I go, Kathy? Was it all right? Oh, about 95 minutes. Okay. No, she said 45. That would be even half. When I got up there, I only went like 35 maybe. I don't know. But uh, it, was, it was hot. But guess what? I should have, man, I blew it. I said, you think, I should have said, you think it's hot now, folks. You know. Man, I just realized I blew it, you know. But guess what, guys? We all need Jesus. Amen. And, and uh, we all know the gospel. And I love you guys. And we got this beautiful thing the Lord's doing in a lot of Christian churches. There's a lot of junk out there, but there's true God-fearing people that are seeing what's going on, that love Jesus and are marching together, preaching the gospel. Let's keep preaching the gospel. Let's keep sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And let's pull out the trusty law from our toolbox. Amen. And use it to convert souls, sinners to Christ. Amen. Praise God. Can we all please stand? And we're going to pass out the cup and the bread.